then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. When I came to small group, I was wanting, I love Bible studies. If there's a Bible study going on and I can be there, I want to be there. That's what I thought I was coming to. But I ended up finding a bunch of friends. You know, we go out to eat, we went to movies, we've been, came to each other's houses for Christmas dinners, you know, different things like that. And right now, two of the people in our small group, we go camping. We've been camping 13 times this year. We've been doing things together. I mean, last week we went and helped one of our small group friends out. He's moving in a house and cleaned his house. I've made a relationship that I was not looking for. That's what's happened. I mean, we've came up with a great bunch of friends. That's all there is to it. Yeah. <laughs> out of uh, five stars, I give it a four and a half. And the only reason I give it a four and a half stars is because our campus minister always wants to come to your table anytime there's food there and wants to eat what you have there. But I will say that if you want to get on his good side, bring him buffalo chicken. Come to a small group. I highly recommend it. For me, being in a small group is important to growing in our Christian faith. We started coming to Gateway last year in the middle of the pandemic because our other church stopped having services, children's programs, and groups altogether. Groups and student ministry are vital to growing your personal faith and helping make not only your family a stronger Christian household, but giving your children the building blocks of faith to accept Jesus as their personal Savior. The friendships and relationships we have made just in the past year here at Gateway are incredible. We have gone from being in a small group to leading one and volunteering throughout the church in various roles. It doesn't matter what gift God has given you, whether it be cooking, good with kids, opening doors and greeting people, you can play a vital role in strengthening the ministry here at Gateway. Hey, Gateway Church. President Calvin Coolidge once said, no person was ever honored for what he received. Honor has been given for what he gave. And today as we wrap up this available series, I just wanna say thank you to all of you who make Gateway Church what it is today. Without you doing your part, we could not be the church that we are today. So I wanna say thanks. Keep serving, get into a small group, take that next step in your journey of faith, and let's continue to be a church that is available to be used by God in the service of His kingdom. All right, good morning. Good to see you out there this morning. Glad to have the kids in here with us. Where are you kids? Let me see it. Those of you who are here unwillingly, raise your hand. <clears throat> All right. Thanks for being here. I don't know if you can adjust me here, Tony, but I feel like I'm in a barrel. I don't know if you hear that, but I can hear that. This is Family Sunday. It's the fifth Sunday, and that's what we do. We give our children the opportunity to experience big church. Hi, Flo Kinsey. Good to see you there and experience what it feels like to be in here, and also uh, give our children's team a, a little bit of a break. So students, 
Uh, sorry about your luck this morning. No Philip upstairs, but we're glad you're in here. <clears throat> Today, uh, this video here was shown at all of our campuses, and I just want you to pray for Luke Martin. Luke is new to our Taze Valley uh, staff, our student ministry there, and he's preaching his first sermon this morning, first real sermon uh, at our Marmette campus. So as I speak, he's, uh, he's preaching right now. So pray for Luke, and I know he's going to do a great job. He's just, he's just been knocking it out of the park. We have a great staff here. Amen to that. This is also the last Sunday of a Pastor Appreciation Week. Uh, we'll call it Minister Appreciation because we have a large staff. And personally, I've been treated very well. Uh, some of you, many of you have shown your appreciation in many ways. Thank you for loving on our staff. And if it takes buffalo chicken to keep Joel happy, I say bring the buffalo chicken, right? Amen. Uh, amen, a few over here. I guess these folks aren't really sure. <clears throat> but um, anyway, this is the wrap-up today of our last message in this series, Available. I love that song that we've been singing throughout this series. We learned it a while back. Available, it's called. And what a great song of commitment and devotion, uh, you know, with who you are. And that's what we're talking about in this series, that God has made you just the way you are. Now, he wants to shape you. His purpose and plan for you is to get better, to conform to the image of his son. That's what God's predestined plan for all of us is, that we would be more like Jesus. But he has made you and saved you to serve. You're saved to serve. There's no canned religion here. You know what canned religion is, don't you? You've heard me say it before. That's where you get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on your can. We don't, we don't practice that here. We don't teach that here. We are saved to serve. We want everybody to get into a small group. That's our goal. We want to be a church with 100% participation in small groups. Small groups is where it happens. It's where you build relationships. You'll serve together. You do fun things together. It it's becomes your people, your circle. <clears throat> so we encourage that. See Joel, if this is your regular uh, attendance spot, see Joel. He'll get you plugged into that. And uh, we want you to serve. We want you to get involved in some way. And there are lots of ways to serve. I noticed out here in the main lobby, there's been a table out there the entire series where you can sign up to get involved in different areas of our uh, church, different areas of ministry. So when it comes to knowing who we are and how we can best serve, we've been using this incredible tool, this acronym called SHAPE, my ministry SHAPE. And the letters of that we've been covering each week in this series. This is the last one. We've been talking about spiritual gifts. You know, when you became a Christian, God gave you a spiritual gift. And if you need to go back and revisit that message or get online, there's information is so easy to get these days. Be careful you don't jump on everything, but there's lots of information out there. But you have a spiritual gift if you're a Christian, and you need to find a way to employ that gift in the service of the Lord. Your heart, that's something we've talked about. At some point in your life, God's going to stir your heart. He's going to break your heart. 
like Nehemiah who sat down and wept, God's going to do something in your heart. It's probably going to be after you've grown up a little bit. It's going to probably, but, but not always. You know, there are kids, there are young people, I think, who God stirs their hearts and we hear about them. They're doing incredible things. They're raising money for a cause. They're, they're doing some things that are really above their years. Recently, I'm talking about in the last year or so, a young lady in our church, her name is um, uh, Chloe Groves. How many of you remember Kenny and Susie? Little Chloe raised $10,000 to drill a well in Haiti, where her big sister's from. And so, you know, sometimes God stirs your heart when you're young. Oftentimes, he'll stir it when you get older and you see the condition of things and the plight of people around you, and you want to do something about it. We've talked about your abilities. There are some things you can do that other people can't do or they can't do them as well as you. There's your personality, which makes you who you are. Whether you're an introvert, extrovert, you know, you're out front or behind the scenes, God can use that. Today, we're going to talk about your experiences. Now, I'm not talking about a mystical experience that you can't explain or something that happened in a, you know, uh, kind of a, uh, a mystical time at night, maybe a vision or something like that. Maybe you've had that. Maybe you haven't. That's not necessary. When I say experiences here, I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about what's been happening to you in your life, impactful experiences. You know, there are lots of things that happen to us, but there are a few things that really make a deep impression, and they change us, things that we never, ever want to forget, or we couldn't forget if we wanted to, some things we do want to forget, but we can't. That's what I'm talking about. Danish theologian Soren Kierkegaard said, life can only be understood backwards, but it has to be lived forwards. In other words, we, things happen to us. We don't really understand what they mean or how God's using them or what they, uh, you know, how, how they can be used in his kingdom until we look back on them. We have to keep moving, though, and we have to use those things in the past. Now, all of us have experiences. Like I said, there are relational experiences. Some of you have experiences in relationships, good and bad that have made it such an impact on you that, you know, you should share that. You should help other people with that, whether they're good or bad. I see every now and then um, uh, Facebook posts of, of, of a marriage that's hit 50 years or 30 years, or even if it hit 10 years, celebrate that. And then there are divorces, there are breakups, there, there are things that happen in relationships you don't really want to happen, but they've happened. You have educational experiences, vocational, that means your job, experiences on the job. Many of us have had vacational experiences. How many of you have had a vacation where you just like, when your family gets together, that's what you talk about? There's an experience on a big family vacation that I went on that we could have never seen, we could have never expected, we never planned, and it happened to us. You know what I'm talking about, don't you, Caleb? And no, no, it's one of those things that you're kind of embarrassed to talk about, but it happened to us, and it, it, was, it was one of those experiences. All the national parks and things we saw, guess what we talk about, this unexpected thing that happened to us. And let me just tell you, we ran out of gas right next to a, the shady lady brothel in Nevada 
That's all I'm going to tell you. And if you need to explain to your kids now, I'm sorry. But these kind of experiences stay with us, don't they? They're spiritual experiences, funny experiences, painful experiences, all kinds of things that make you who you are. Recently, my wife and I were talking in the car. I told her that my nephew, <clears throat> our nephew, my brother's son, was coming home. He's, he went from you know, down in Mercer County, West Virginia, out to USC, the University of Southern California, to college. And he came home on his midterm break, and she said, wonder why he's coming home. I said, well, I think he's homesick. He's only been gone for two months. Yeah, yeah, but two months is a long time if you're homesick. How many of you have been homesick? And so I asked her, I said, honey, have you ever been homesick? Have you ever been away from home, away from family, where you've, you've just had that feeling? It's indescribable. It's terrible. She said, no, I've never had that. And then, you know, my wife has never been away from family or, or, or people or, that she loves for any length of time. I said, but that's been my life with the military, with school, with things like that. I've been away for so long, uh, and, and it's, it's a terrible feeling. Homesickness is a terrible feeling. And so you have all kinds of experiences that make you who you are. Now, today we're going to talk about a guy who's only mentioned two times in the Bible. We're not going to talk about him long, but we're going to look at this man's life, and I want to walk you through some of his experiences, and then I'm going to tell you how you can use your experiences in being available to God for his work, all right? This guy's name is Epaphroditus. You can find his story in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, and in chapter 4. He's only mentioned twice. The Apostle Paul is writing here, and this is after the focus verse that was earlier in this chapter. Think of others more than you think of yourself, and this is how Epaphroditus is living out this value. Paul said, I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you, and he's distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. The apostle Paul was very glad to receive Epaphroditus. You know, Paul talks about a couple different protégés, young men that he was able to mentor in the ministry. We did a series on one of them back earlier, uh, late spring, early summer. Anybody remember his name? Timothy. And Paul actually talks about Timothy and his value to his ministry just verses before this passage that we read. And now he's going to talk about someone that we didn't even know existed. We wouldn't know, except Paul mentions him here and one other place in chapter 4. And Epaphroditus was a young man in the church of Philippi, was a member there, who had brought some gift from the Philippians to Paul. Paul was in prison. He was writing these letters. These are called, one, this is one of the prison epistles, one of the prison letters. He's writing this letter in prison, and people would minister to him. They would bring him maybe food, or maybe they brought him some books. They brought him his coat. You know, there's one letter where Paul says, hey, have him bring my coat. 
because it's getting cold here. And then one letter, he says, have him bring the parchments because I want to read over them. And so Epaphroditus was one of those guys who came from Philippi. He ministered to Paul. And while he was there, he got homesick. He was a young man, probably the first time he'd been away from home. It was dangerous, you know, up there being a Christian in this hostile environment. There were, there were a lot of people who loved Christ, but they were kind of in the first century living under the radar, many of them. And not only was he homesick, he got sick. He got sick and almost died. So let's, let's look at these experiences. Uh, he had a salvation experience. Many of you have had a salvation experience. Paul called him his brother. I don't know if you remember yours. You ought to. You ought to remember when you got saved, when you came to Christ, when you surrendered to him, maybe your baptism. I, I was at church camp. I was at church camp in Bluefield at Christian Acres, and I had grown up in the church, but I never really made my own decision to trust Christ, to follow Christ, to accept him and to be baptized and to live a life for him. But I did that night. It was in July 1976, and I was uh, just a young uh, boy, and uh, I decided it was time for me to make my decision. And that's, that's my night. That's my experience, and I could talk about that with you. And I bet you have a salvation experience, and some of them are, are, you know, very flamboyant, and it's like the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road, and some of them are, are, you know, very, it's just like I knew this was the right thing to do, and this is what I did. No angels uh, singing where you could hear them, but trust me, they were rejoicing. And Paul called him his brother. He had an educational experience. You know, the fact that Paul considered him a co-worker leads us to believe that Paul mentored him like he did Timothy. He had relational experiences. I love this part of this text. Not only did he and Paul become close, Paul kind of like a father to him, like he was to Timothy, but it's interesting here that Paul refers to him with three different phrases. He calls him his brother. He calls him his co-worker. And I like this last one. He said, he's also my fellow soldier. Wow. Why did he say that? Well, you know, as someone who has worn the uniform, I still wear the uniform uh, once a month, and someone who's gone down range where bullets are flying, I want to tell you something. You get close to the people who are serving to your left and to your right. One of the young men I became very close to in my first deployment, his name was and is Jimmy. How many of you remember Jimmy? You know Jimmy? Jimmy and I got to be close. We spent many hours talking, sharing, getting to know each other, really becoming close, commiserating with one another. You ever commiserate? You know what commiserate means. You mean just whining to each other and complaining about the man, what he's doing, what he's making you do. And we really got close friends. And I would tell you that friendship right now, if Jimmy was here, we'd be like best buds all over again. And when you deploy, and Patrick, you've done this, you get close to the to the people you go out there with and you face hardships with and you, you do hard things with. Not everybody, but there are some people that you get close to and some of you ex experience that. And it's a great friendship and a relationship. Bill Guy was telling me there's a man he served with just for two years who died and every year he goes to North Carolina and he visits the wife and he goes to the grave because he loved that man. 
And so we have uh, relational, we have painful experiences. Epaphroditus almost died. He was homesick, and then he almost died from sickness. And I'll just don't hear what I'm not saying. You can't die from homesickness, but it feels like you're going to. feels like you're going to. Maybe you'd rather. But he got sick on top of that, probably some kind of stomach-borne disease, and he almost died. Painful experiences, and he had a healing experience. Many of you have experienced the healing. You were almost at death. You, you're in the hospital, in the ER, the ICU, or, or maybe you had some near-death experience out there on the highway or at your job, and God spared you from that or he healed you from that. And that's an incredible experience to share. And that was Epaphroditus. And Paul said to welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he risked his life for the work of Christ. Now, volunteering here, hopefully it's not going to cost you your life. I've heard children's ministry is pretty dangerous. And maybe preschool ministry might be dangerous, but you're not, we haven't lost anybody yet, including kids in those ministries. Now, student ministry is a whole other story. I don't know what they do, and they go out and do things, and I don't know if people all come back from those things, but I think they do. But someone said, experience is not what happens to you. It's what you do with what happens to you. Don't waste your pain. Use it to help others. So God wants to use all your experiences like Epaphroditus. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now think about this passage. We know, Paul said. He didn't say we think or we hope. He said, we know this. That in all things, not in some things, not in just the good things, not in the things you're proud of, in all things, God works. God works. God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all life, is working in your life with your mess-ups and your mistakes and my sorrows and my mistakes. He's working. He's working for the good. He's taking those things and he's wiping them off and he's cleaning them up and he's shaping them into something beautiful, something good. Nobody else can do that. Nobody else can take your sorrows, your heartaches, your mistakes, the dumb things you did, the stupid things you did, the ignorant things you did, and say, you know what, I can use that. I can shape it up, I can shape it, and I can make something good of that. For the good... For those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, which means all of his children who've surrendered to him and have been given a new name and a new hope and a new future. In short, God wants to use all your experiences. So how can you be available? First of all, don't waste them. Embrace them. Embrace them. I know you'd like to forget the past. I know there are things that have happened that you don't want to remember, but that's really not possible. Maybe the brain can do that if it's so traumatic, but it's still there. So what do we do? We take a deep breath and we say, hey, that happened to me. That happened to me, and I'm going to have to make some sense out of it. I'm going to have to become who I am because of it. You remember Joseph in the Old Testament, when Joseph went through all he did, he, have a, he had a father who really doted on him in such a way that made him you know, made a little bit arrogant. 
And then he had brothers who said, we'll fix you. And they sold him into slavery. He went down to Egypt. He was uh, accused of rape, falsely accused, put in prison. He interpreted some dreams, but then he was forgotten about by those he helped get out. And he sat there in prison, but finally he found his way to the to the top spot in the kingdom after the Pharaoh, and he had his moment in front of his brothers, and instead of taking out his vengeance or his hatred or uh, getting back at them, he said, you know what, everything that's happened to me, even what you did to me, even how you talked to me, even how you denied me, everything that's happened to me, he said, God, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. Isn't that incredible? He embraced them. Secondly, learn from them. Someone said those who ignore history are doomed to what? Repeat it. And I heard this phrase when I was younger. You've heard it too. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. In other words, I'm not going to let you repeat history here. I'm going to learn from this. I love what Job 32.7 says from the message version. It says, the longer you live, the wiser you become. Now, I don't think this is a promise in God's word because I know a lot of people with gray hair who do some stupid things. And some of them don't have gray hair. They don't have any hair. How many of you have done the same dumb thing more than once? Oh, everybody, yeah, yeah. Young people, you don't have to. You can learn from your mistakes, but good luck with that. Oftentimes, it takes two and three and four and five and a hundred times to learn, I need to stop doing that because this is what happens. But you got to learn from your past experiences. If you're not learning from them, then they're being wasted. You're not getting anything from them, even the hard ones, the tough ones. And thirdly, use them to help others. That's what we need to do with our experiences. Learn from them and then use them. Here are four ways you can... Use your experiences to help. First of all, you can warn others. In Luke 16, there's a, Jesus tells a story about a rich man and a man named Lazarus, and the rich man ignored Lazarus, and they both died, went to the afterlife, went to Hades, and uh, the, the Lazarus, the poor man, was in Abraham's bosom, but the rich man was in torment. He was, he was in misery and pain, and he said, I wanted just a drop of water, and Abraham said, sorry, can't reach you. Uh, no, no water for you. And he said, okay, then do this for me. What? Go to my family and warn them. That's Luke 16. Warn them about this place. Change your life. Get a new direction. Get a new hope. Find a savior. Warn them. And you know, there are things that you have that you need to share the story and say, don't do that. Or you'll end up like me. Or you'll end up like this. Secondly, teach them. That's how you can use them. Teach, teach others. Paul told Timothy, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. In other words, Paul said, I'm teaching you. Now you find someone to teach who will also find someone to teach. And this is how the Christianity really is propagated as we're handing this down generation after generation. Thirdly, use them to comfort. Use your experiences to comfort others. Some of you have been through some painful things. You know, I look out every Sunday on uh, some families, a few, very few families who've lost children. 
And I, I think that'd be the hardest experience to go through in life. I, I don't know, but I think that would be it, to lose a child. You know, those of you who have children, just think about losing a child. It, it, would, it, it would be unimaginable, wouldn't it? But yet we have people in our church who've lost a child. They've lost spouses or lost parents or lost friends. You know, when I was young, I lost a good friend when I was still in, just out of college, and I thought, wow, I don't, I don't know how to deal with this. But it helped shape me to help other people who lost friends. The Bible says, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Don't waste your pain. Lastly, use your experiences to inspire Bible's full of inspirational stories of people, no-name people like Epaphroditus or the big-name people like Abraham or Moses that had a terrible experience, a painful experience or a joyful experience, and they did something after that. They inspire us all to keep going. The Bible is full of them, and so is our world. The Internet's full of them. I mean, people who've gone through a lot of trial and pain but they're pushing forward. They're still available, and God is using them for his glory. The Bible says about some of them, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. Then it says the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. This hall of faith chapter, Hebrews 11, is full of these Stories, and I think our church is full of these stories. In fact, I want to introduce you to one of those stories. And everybody has a story, but I want to introduce you to Donna Chandler. Donna and Casey have an incredible story of darkness and God's faithfulness. So early on, um, as a child, my... Um, I would attribute my parents, their availability to serving in our local church. My mom taught my Sunday school class. I can remember my dad's Bible always stayed out on the table by his chair. Um, he never put it away. But I would say that their availability to serving helped to shape who I was. And because of that, I made a decision for Christ at the age of 10. Um, fast forward a couple of years, and at age 14, I began dating, who's now my husband, Casey, and he had not been raised in church. He had um, been in and out of church. He'd made a decision, but not followed that up with baptism and wasn't exactly um, living that lifestyle, and so um, we dated for nine years, and against the advice of my pastor at the time, um, I married him anyhow, and young people, I would not advise that. Um, yeah, it's turned out great, but anyhow, I would not advise that. But anyhow, um, so we got married. I was 23, and Dave referenced last week the Enneagram and a type 1. I can identify with him in that. Um, I like to plan, and I like for things to go a certain way, mostly my way. And um, <laughs> so I had a plan. We were going to get married, and... Two years into marriage, we were ready to have a family, and it was time to get started with that. And so, two years of trying to get pregnant, and nothing, nothing happened. 
And so we began to see different doctors, infertility doctor, he did, I did, nothing wrong with either one of us. Um, every doctor we saw, it, nothing's wrong. And so finally in the fall of 2000, I got pregnant. And um, I miscarried on Christmas Eve. And so it took a couple of years for me to get pregnant again. And I miscarried on Christmas Day. And this one in particular stands out to me because I had to be hospitalized. And um, they put me in a room with a lady who had just given birth. And every time her baby cried, I thought I was going to die having to listen to that. So this was the beginning of what turned out to be a 16-year period of waiting, of pregnancy after pregnancy, ending in miscarriage after miscarriage. I miscarried seven times in 16 years. And all the while, I watched my sister have two healthy kids. I watched my brother and sister-in-law have three healthy kids. Baby shower after baby shower after baby shower. And Mother's Day became a nightmare for me. Um, even to the point of I had friends from high school who were becoming grandparents and still nothing for me. Um, what did I do with this time of waiting? I continued reading my Bible. I remember I joined every small group study that came up in my church. Um, all of my friends were busy with their kids, and so um, that's how I used my time. And I somehow still managed to serve in the children's ministry at the church where we were then. Um, as I reflected on this, this time, this week, of what I might say, I thought to myself, gosh, I should be bitter. That was awful. But I honestly cannot recall a time where I was ever bitter during that time of waiting. Um, keep in mind, I was enduring this with a husband who was not in church with me. And we weren't on the same page, which I think made it a little more difficult. Um, none of this is how my plan went. None of it. And so in the spring of 2013, um, I was turning 40 years old. And... Casey and I talked, we agreed, um, one last effort at the infertility doctor uh, before we could give up on this. And so I remember distinctly, I went to the doctor, um, I ran into a friend from high school whom I had not seen in years, and she said, why are you here? And I said, well, do you know what I've been through? I mean, we're just making one last attempt here to get pregnant. And she said, well, um, I said, why are you here? Because she had three kids and she said, well, he's, this doctor's an endocrinologist. And I said, but he's a reproductive endocrinologist. And so she went on to see him and realized she was in the wrong place. But I do not believe in coincidence. And so I saw the doctor. And as I was checking out to schedule the procedure and all that would take place, um, she came back from the hallway. And she said, as I was leaving, God told me to come back and tell you that you don't need this appointment or the medication, that you're going to have a baby girl. And I just laughed at her because that was nonsense after all we had dealt with. And so I went home that afternoon, had the rest of the day off work, and um, I remember just feeling so compelled to pray and pray about what she had said to me. So I went up to the room in our house where I planned to make a nursery, 
And I pulled out the rocking chair that my mom had given me that she had used to rock me. And I got out my Bible because it's all I knew to do. And I prayed. And I read Hannah's prayer for the millionth time in the book of Samuel. And I, I thoroughly feel convinced that my experience that far in this had caused me to finally surrender to his plan instead of my plan. And I began praying out loud and sobbing. I remember being sure that I was losing it right there. And so um, I did not trust right then that what, she, what God had told her to tell me was going to happen. So I went ahead with the procedure just like I planned. And the next month when we went back to the doctor, it did not work. And so I was not pregnant still. And we had agreed that that was it. We'd spent enough money. We'd spent enough time. This had consumed our entire married life. So I had over the next few months to try to deal with letting go of the idea that we would have a family. Um, in this, I developed, I would call a healthy fear of growing old without kids, without a family. And that would come to, to play later. But that late October of that same year, um, several months had passed since we had stopped trying. And um, Casey is a hunter. He hunts out west every fall. So he was gone on a trip, and I was home. And I was so sick, um, a sickness that I had not experienced. And my mom convinced me that we needed to get to a doctor. So I went, and I was pregnant. And I just was blown away. Um, clearly in his time and not mine. And we cautiously waited, not sharing with anyone, um, till well into the second trimester because of what we had been through. And then in June of 2014, we gave birth to a baby girl. And so 16 years of waiting was now over. Um, and as I look back, I, I just can hardly believe how the experience of waiting and all that we endured, how it had changed me. Um, I had a job that I loved with people that I loved. I always said I never want to stay at home. That's just not me. I want to work. All of a sudden, I felt myself um, wanting to stay home and to raise Chloe. And from there, um, I've been available to homeschool her. I was, I'm just not a homeschool mom. I would have never pegged myself as that, but what an amazing opportunity that has become, um, especially with all that's going on in the world right now. Um, also, we have probably four of the most important people to us um, in this season of life. Casey's mom, my mom, my grandmother, and his stepmother are all widows, and so I believe that that healthy fear I had developed of growing old without a family and without kids um, it enables me to put myself in their shoes. And when they have a doctor's appointment or if somebody's in the hospital or if they have a need at their house, I'm available to them to serve them in that way. And um, I serve here in our children's ministry just once a month, not, not anything big. I serve on our worship team. Um, in my mind, after all that he has brought me through and done for me, how could I not? How could I not use my time to serve him, and um, I also, I, I want to make myself more available, and I, I have in the past, but 
to those who might be walking a path of infertility, of infant loss, um, if that's you, I, I would love to help. And I would say, if you're in a season of waiting, don't waste that time. Um, I hope you don't wait 16 years for whatever it is you're walking through right now. But um, use that time to study and grow. And um, how you're called to serve doesn't have to be in a huge way. The things that I do are so small. I mean, I'm in children's ministry once a month. I'm in worship team once a month. And and that's all. It doesn't have to be anything huge. Right. Stay up here, Donna. I'd like to get the um, other side of this family up here just for a moment if you think they'll come. I know one will. I'm not sure about Casey. Yeah, clever girl. <laughs> hey, your story may not be exactly like Donna's, but you have a story. You have experiences, and we want you to use those experiences to help others, to inspire people, and to be available to God. I'm so proud of this family. I, you know, hearing your story this way, because I was, you know, I was watching a lot of it. Uh, I want to dissect a whole bunch of it and talk to you more about it later. But 14, you guys started dating when you were 14 years old. Yeah, so... Uh, I'm thinking about my daughter, a 14 year old daughter. But I say, be careful, little girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Hey, uh, would you stand with me? I want to close the service by praying for you and for uh, this family. Chloe, would you like to say anything? You have anything you want to share? I can't no? Believe it. You sure? Well, we caught her off guard, didn't we? So let's pray. God, thank you so much for the stories of our life, for our experiences. Thank you so much for how you shape us, and we're not even aware of it, and our plans become your plans, and that's what we want, God. That's, that's who we want to become, someone who says, God, I'm available. Here I am. Here I am. I surrender all to you. Thank you for their story. I pray your blessing on them not just for now, but for generations to come. May this be a testimony of praise and power to so many people. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be a part of hearing it today. And I pray your blessing on each one here. If there's someone here who doesn't know you, if there's someone here, God, who, who has an experience that's holding them back, that's putting them in a prison from serving and from coming to you for a relationship. God, would you free them from that this morning? Take anything that I said that was wrong or hurtful in error and delete it from our minds this morning and bless us, God, with these encouraging words from your word. In Jesus' name, amen.